Okay, here we are. Same Second Sports is back. We are talking to Coach R.B. Green, but not necessarily about football, but about some of the diversity um, initiatives happening on the yard. We also talked to retired Vice Admiral John Christensen and retired Rear Admiral Jim McNeil, both former athletes and doing great things out there. So without any further ado, I am John Schofield. Joining me is my co-host Ward Carroll. And very happy to be joined by our special guest, Bill Wagner. So, Ward, uh, the thing that caught my eye this week, other than Gail Sayers dying, um, I'll just start off by saying that. Pour one out for, for the greatest running back of all time. And if any human being listening to this podcast hasn't seen Brian's song, they need to watch Brian's song. Um, and the biggest thing other than that I saw was the news out of Ohio State. We often reference Ohio State as having the – Second most varsity sports out there, Stanford with 39, uh, Ohio State with 35, Navy with 33. Uh, and what we heard is that Ohio State was going through some major cuts as announced by their athletic director. What do you think this means in terms of storm clouds for the Naval Academy? Uh, pink sky morning, sailors warning? Yeah, we've had these conversations on the show, starting with Chet. Um, I think we've been unflinching about the fiscal realities of the COVID-19 environment. Just like in the Ohio State case, uh, the existence of a football season will mitigate some of this financial hit they're going to take. That article that if people Google Ohio State athletic director and go to the news category, they'll certainly see that article, which goes through the financials in pretty great detail, particularly with a focus on the football team. Um, so the resident effect is everybody takes a across the board 10% pay cut um, and that'll affect different levels differently. Obviously, if you're a coach making $5 million, that's, that's a charity donation. If you're the coach's administrative assistant, that's a major hit. Um, that could be a missed rent payment. That could be kids don't go to private school anymore. That's a vacation you don't take. Um, so this is not a surprise. I think what we don't know is what schools are going to act at what point. And I think the Big Ten sort of not having a season on time, you're seeing them flinch, if you will, before other conferences like the AAC that have had a season. So what this means for Navy, um, I, I don't know specifically, but we are playing. Um, we're, we're playing a, a – modified schedule. We've lost some games because of COVID. We've had a schedule shakeup because of COVID, particularly our next home game against Temple. We've lost a soccer game because of COVID. Um, so I think we're going to see there has to be an economic impact. I don't know if it's going to lay waste to the other sports, as we've talked about to Coach Kabara and other people uh, about, you know, what are your fears about the COVID with respect to your financial support. And they've all been very sanguine about, no, I think we're fine and, and we'll keep going and we just have to deal with the situation as it is, is presented to us. I, I think from what we heard from Chet, he's going to try to protect all the other sports beyond football uh, to the degree that it's fiscally possible. 
Um, he has done belt tightening in recent years. Uh, there was a, a every all the coaches were in one of the academic auditoriums, and there was high drama um, about the announcement that everybody was going to take a hit. Um, and uh, you know, I'll let somebody else tell that story in great detail. But this isn't the first time that the coaches currently on the payroll have had to face belt tightening. So I think everybody's sort of expecting that something will happen. I think it's good news that the AAC is playing and we've had broadcast residuals and all kinds of other things happen that have sort of provided a foundation, a fiscal foundation for this year when we thought it wouldn't exist at all. So I guess the bottom line is I'm not surprised at how Ohio State is having to deal with it. And we'll see what it has to do with NAAA going forward. So, Wags, this is a good segue into another story you wrote this week, um, which was about the Veterans Classic, which is a proverbial cash cow for the Naval Academy. Um, you know, with big teams like Michigan State and Florida and Tennessee, um, Maryland came out uh, for, for one of them one year. That's a great source of revenue. It's a great TV package. Um, so you wrote about the Veterans Classic going away with the new scheduling being announced by the NCAA for basketball. So for you, how does how does the Veterans Classic being canceled contribute to this conversation? And what do you think lies ahead for the athletic department? Well, it's definitely hit. That's a CBS sports broadcast. That's revenue directly to NAAA because, you know, Navy is in the Patriot League and the way that 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 is a separate element, they don't have to give the money from CBS Sports that is uh, paid for the Veterans Classic broadcast to the Patriot League. They they keep that, as far as I know. Um, I will say that on the front of athletics as a whole, uh, number one, it should be noted that Navy football fans, season ticket holders, have really done a solid to the NAAA. Because I think something like 95% did not ask for refunds. So that's a significant amount of revenue that NAAA was able to hold on to, despite the fact that as of now, no fans are allowed to attend Navy football games. Um, Number two, you still have the television revenue. Navy's already played two national TV broadcasts. Uh, Now, the way it works is that all television revenue is pooled through the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, but they pay out to member schools a pretty healthy uh, sum. And as we mentioned, we know that ESPN recently renegotiated its television deal with the American Athletic Conference. It's much more lucrative than it originally was. So I, I do not ever anticipate the Naval Academy cutting sports. That's just not part of the mission. It's not part of the matrix they have 33 varsity sports for a reason. The only thing they've done during my time at the n- newspaper is add sports like women's lacrosse. So I don't ever see that happening. And I know that Chuck Gladchuck will take any measure possible to avoid cutting sports. And as Ward mentioned, and I wrote a lot about this and I spoke to numerous varsity coaches, there was some angst about Chet's belt tightening Uh, The last time there was a bit of a fiscal crisis and every varsity program took a hit. Uh, Coaches lost camp money. Uh, There there was some, and for some period of time, they had to go without extra assistance. Basketball 
was unable to replace assistant coaches. Everybody took a hit, and Chet would always go that route. He'll tighten the belt and and find cuts elsewhere before he ever thinks of eliminating a varsity sport. So that's not in the picture. The other thing I would mention is Navy is not the same as Ohio State. Ohio State is spending massive amounts of money on athletics, and when they lose the massive amount of television revenue, which they had, they're not having any non-conference games. That's a lot of money not flowing into the Big Ten coffers. So, I, I mean, Navy is a different model of athletics, and I think over the years they've come to perfect that model. And they, I think Navy's in a lot better position to survive the inevitable financial hit of COVID. Well, we'll keep an eye on it and we'll uh, look forward to your reporting, uh, the reporting which has been you know, utterly fantastic, awesome column about the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy and your take on that. I push our listeners to uh, find that online or on your Twitter handle to uh, read about that and, and everything else. We are going to head to break. When we come back, we're going to have a great conversation uh, with R.B. Green, uh, class of 98, former company mate of our intrepid producer, Chris Cervello about uh, his role with the initiatives to promote racial justice on campus. Uh, it's a great interview set up by NAAA for their uh, weekly Zoom interviews. We'll bring you that, and then we'll talk to uh, Admirals McNeil and Christensen. And after that, Ward and I will take us out. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, Hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right, we're back. Thanks for sticking with us on Sync Second Sports. Uh, really happy to bring you a conversation Wags and I had with Coach R.B. Green, um, member of the football coaching staff, retired a couple of years ago, um, from the Marine Corps, he retired as an 05. Has always been involved in the football program. Played when he was uh, when he was a mid, and uh, stayed involved in the program when he came back uh, while in uniform, and now has stayed on as an assistant coach out of uniform. Uh, the most significant part of RB's uh, contribution this year, not in totality, but this year, is that he's in his first year as the director of racial equality for the Navy football program. And as you hear uh, when Wags and I talked to him in the NAAA-sponsored uh, Zoom press conference, uh, there's a lot that goes into that. And and RB is is really one of the best people to be put into that position just because of the background he has and the personality that he enjoys. So without any further ado, here is our conversation with R.B. Green, Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Marine Corps, retired. Hey, R.B., good to see you. Hey, Wax, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Um, well, I guess let me ask you what have you all been doing. I think Coach Niamat mentioned uh, last week or previous that you had a meeting with the Baltimore City Police Commissioner. Can you just kind of tell me some of the uh, outreach endeavors or efforts that, that the, the group has made since we last spoke? Yes, sir. So the, 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 <clears throat> the platform has, has expanded uh, a, a little bit more since, since we last talked. Um, so the initial um, talks with the local police uh, departments uh, and chiefs 
uh, including Annapolis, Bowie, uh, Baltimore City Police uh, Department, and uh, Maryland State Department. Uh, we had a follow-up with the commissioner of Baltimore City Police Department, um, and he provided uh, basically the, uh, the information um, that, that came to after uh, the death of Freddie Gray in a federal consent decree um, and the uh, reform issues that, that they uh, uh, were under. Uh, and he wanted to kind of explain the progress that's being made, uh, explain some challenges. Um, and so we, we provided an audience for him and the midshipmen um, diversity team and the Navy Football Players Council racial equality uh, were involved in, in, in that piece. Uh, so that's the, on the police reform part of it, but it has expanded far beyond just police reform. Um, that, that, that was the, uh, the hot topic, but now we're in, uh, expanded to education here on campus uh, at the Naval Academy. Uh, and we uh, went out and, and asked the faculty and staff um, and developed a group of allies uh, here at we have the United States Naval Academy and over 100 faculty and staff members uh, signed on with us uh, to assist and facilitate uh, committees um, where midshipmen are the lead, but the faculty and staff members are uh, facilitators, uh, consultants, uh, experts in, in, in fields and to help those midshipmen uh, voice uh, their opinions, concerns, and then put those things into action. Um, we've done that in the leadership department. We've done that in the humanities and social sciences. And now we're expanding that to the STEM um, and STEM field here where we're looking for diversity and inclusion efforts and initiatives in the STEM field. Um, so that, th those are the two big ones. Um, we also are designing a brigade diversity officer, a midshipman billet that will fall under the, 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 the brigade. Um, commander, and and which would be awesome. Have a full time midshipman in charge uh, of diversity and inclusion efforts uh, here on campus. Uh, so that that that's that's in the works, and we're going to signing company representatives of the thirty companies. We'll all have a diversity peer educator uh, in each company that will facilitate diversity and inclusion training, uh, which will be awesome um, moving forward. And those are all permanent positions. I think one of the things you had mentioned previously was um, looking at the curriculum offerings and seeing if there was a way to offer maybe classes of some sort that would be a little more diverse in nature. Any movement on that front? Yes, huge movements, um, especially when you talk about humanities and social sciences, history, you know, English, economics, political science. Um, so they have a, they develop a, the, the division itself, which is headed up by Colonel Smitherman, um, United States Marine Corps, um, has developed a working group to address the curriculum changes uh, there or the curriculum pro progression, I guess, uh, not, not necessarily changes, but adding to, um, rearranging a little bit to, to, to address some diversity and inclusion issues. And so that working group is ongoing. Uh, they're developing those curriculum pieces now, um, developing uh, initiatives to, to get uh, to the point where we are more diverse in, in actual faculty and staff, but also in what they provide midshipmen at all levels, at the, at the, at the freshman level where, you know, it's a core set of classes, you know, what we're addressing there, uh, but also having course offerings for more senior level um, midshipmen 
who, who, who want to, to delve a little bit deeper into, um, you know, the history of our country and a more inclusive, uh, more consolidated history of our country. So, uh, yes, there are big, big efforts going on there. We won't, we won't see those this semester, of course, as, as the semester is already underway. But, but, but uh, surely uh, in the following semesters and beyond, we'll see, see uh, major shifts and changes. Uh, while some um, professors are have have a little bit more autonomy and can address those issues uh, at a class level, uh, I an individual class level. But as far as program program changes across a division, uh, I think you'll see a lot more changes uh, in the following semester, second semester, and beyond uh, here at the Naval Academy. Uh, they're doing the same thing in the leadership department uh, with the uh, uh, lead in the Department of uh, leadership, leadership Ethics and Law. Uh, as well as the Stockdale Center uh, over in Loose Hall. And they are working on the same things, curriculum as well. Uh, they presented a, a working group uh, to us and, and we meet on, on Fridays um, and, and we're making huge strides over there too. So we're very happy what the, the, the way it's, uh, things are going here. Uh, midshipmen are leading from the front, um, but they have faculty and, and staff members in support of it. That about covers it for me. Thanks, RB. Always good to see you. You're looking sharp, brother. Thanks, Wags. I appreciate it. Hey, RB. So um, can you walk me through uh, just a little bit more detail? And, and truth be told, with Wags on here, uh, we're just looking for a soundbite to throw on the podcast with Strass's permission. But can you walk me through your role as the director of racial equality, what that means um, in terms of from the tactical level up to the strategic level? How are you getting, um, you know, the team registered to vote, and and what are your goals, short term and long term, for this position? Yes. So let me, let me kind of uh, take it back a little, give a little bit of history, and then I, I can bring it bring it to. You. All right. So um, at the you know, after immediately after the death of George Floyd, okay. So Coach Nehemiah, uh wanted to do something beyond social media postings. And, and, and marches and things of that nature. And he wanted some actionable steps uh, to get going. Um, so, uh, you know, he, part of it was him going to his peers uh, at, at, the, at, at, at the collegiate level and, and talking to those guys about what can we do together uh, to move this forward, to move, uh, to move this need a little bit forward. But what he could control specifically and move right now was his own team uh, and, and move that forward. So we, we talked to, athletic director here and and uh, he okayed it and he assigned me as the director for racial equality and immediately want to get going to develop the council um, and once with the council was developed we wanted actionable steps uh, led by midshipmen uh, develop a platform and and he wanted immediate action so that's what we did and signed nine midshipmen uh, all you know football players initially uh, one, you know, three from each class. He wanted an Anglo-American, uh, African-American, and an other race from each class. So a total of nine members. Uh, no freshmen, of course. Uh, they, were, they were in pleat summer at the time. Um, and we immediately got going. Develop a platform for police reform, education, voter registration, um, a NAPS initiative. Because uh, you can't really talk minorities here at the Naval Academy if you're not talking to Naval Academy Preparatory School. Um, and, and so we set about, um, you know, what we wanted to do to, to, to start that. So we start making calls, called uh, some police chiefs and got, and got going. And so 
Uh, my goal initially was to provide a voice for our student athletes um, because uh, if we did not address it, uh, of course, we could we could the potential for division amongst the team would would uh, could grow and fester, uh, and we didn't want that to happen. We wanted the brotherhood to to stand strong, uh, and I think that our actions here created a a stronger bond between the brotherhood, and uh, and so we got going. Um, and so football kind of set, set the foundation for what um, what has now become NAAA's uh, Council for Racial Equality. And, and so um, that's headed up by Christine Copper now. Uh, but we, we, we kind of spearheaded some of that, those efforts. And now we've we've kind of we've grown into um, all student athletes. Uh, being on part, uh, being a part of what we're doing here, the Midshipman Diversity Council, which is, uh, you know, uh, largely you know minority groups uh, have come together, but largely athletes as well. Now we're all together now working on the same goals. So we had parallel efforts, uh, and so our goal now um, is to create, uh, you know, you know, that's some quality issues here, but we also have some equity issues here uh, that we wanted to address. And to make those uh, those changes, so we can see lasting change across across the campus. Um, little did we know um, how much support of the fact from the faculty and staff uh, that was going to was going to jump on board with us. And now we're uh, over two hundred plus members of faculty, staff, midshipmen who are all working together to create change in, in every corner uh, of of the campus here. And so uh, our immediate goal was to get get involved and, and provide a voice to our student athletes. Uh, but now, uh, now we, we've 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 grown and, and elevated our platform into seeing some lasting change and 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 permanent change in uh, curriculum here that addresses um, the history of our country uh, and what we're teaching, how we're teaching it, um, the history of race and how it affects uh, all of us. Um, you know, being able to have those uncomfortable conversations, um, un- uncomfortable uh, uh, addressing those uncomfortable issues uh, in a forum uh, because the midshipmen weren't going to do it anyways, right? They're going to they're going to they're going to address it somehow in the hall. It was going to come up on a sports team or something, right? And so uh, it was in our best interest to 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 pre- present those uh, conversations in an environment where there were leaders uh, in place that were facilitators in place so that we can come out of those conversations, um, one with some positive uh, movement, at least some common ground understanding of, of, of our country. And, and so we can, can to begin to, to heal some of that up, right? And then move forward. Um, and, that, and that has continued to grow. Uh, we're now in the organization phase of, of organizing those faculty and staff members and midshipmen all together on, on now what, what is now eight committees um, and and those go into uh, everything from um, helping Captain Lindsay and the, the Office of uh, Inclusion, Diversity, um, and Equality um, create a strategic plan for the Naval Academy. Right, that that's now we're involved in that, and so we're writing, helping helping her write the strategic plan uh, for that. Uh, we're also developing that brigade diversity officer spot, which is a permanent striper billet, uh, which is huge for us as midshipmen. Have somebody permanently on the brigade staff, uh, developing uh, a position there as well. And so, uh, as we continue to grow, um, there's going to be a there's going to be a conference. There's going to be a 
you know, respect day, which means uh, uh, makes like a daily stand down so that we can address diversity and inclusion issues um, at the company level. Um, and then we're creating curriculum that will, in the, in the same spirit as uh, any other annual training that we have here, uh, when it, you know, that will be diversity and inclusion training. Um, hiring practices, all, all types of things now. So all that, that the platform has grown. Uh, we're very happy now with the progress that is being made. Uh, the superintendent and the commandant and, and all have been um, extremely supportive in what we're trying to do here. Uh, and so I, I, have, I have grown from the director of racial equality for the football team until now uh, the lead facilitator for the midshipman diversity team, which is all encompassing of of not just uh, the football team, which which you know, our members are a part of, but now the greater populace of, of of midshipmen on campus, of which I help facilitate under the guidance of of Captain Lindsay, who runs the the, the office of diversity and inclusion. So, um, working with the Stockdale Center now, and 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 their initiatives there, and there are another uh, seven initiatives going on on campus from Nimitz Library to the Humanities and Social Sciences Department to the Leadership uh, Department. And so we, we're, we're in every corner of the campus now and, and, and the, the, the efforts of the football team uh, was largely a part of spearheading some of that, those efforts. And so we're, we're, we're extremely proud of, of what those young people have done. Um, really proud of what Coach Neil Matsalolo has done as far as assigning me and then giving me the space and the time uh, to, to, to work and address these issues while, while you know, still allowing me to coach uh, full-time. And so uh, extremely proud of that. So you're not just some guy that, you know, that it was coaching on the football team. You have a unique background. Um, you know, you retired as a lieutenant colonel. You led Marines. Um, in some of the most challenging of circumstances, you were a member of the football team, class of '98. Um, you know what? What in particular, with your background, um, and it's too easy to say, you know, you're a minority. Um, you know that that you have a very leader, very uh, very unique leadership skill set honed from years and years in the Marine Corps as an officer. What what did your experience in the Marine Corps? help bring to this problem-solving effort for you? Uh, I'm glad you said that. And, and I really do appreciate that background there. The EG in the background looks really good on you, sir. Your, your, your Navy brothers, though, are going to give you a hard time. Um, <laughs> hey, we PAOs, we, we morph our way into anything. Yes, sir. Uh, and so um, the, the one thing, uh, Marines uh, uh, typically, uh, you know, um, Ask for forgiveness, uh, and and we, you know, ask for permission a whole bunch. Uh, and so, uh, when I was given the okay to proceed, and then given the okay uh, from the superintendent's office and the JAG to 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 go ahead with our platform, then I, I just took off from there, and 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 I, um, uh, you know, called as many folks as I could, got as many folks on the on the phone as I could to help us out here. And there's so much support that is very easy to do. Um, but, but, but specifically, um, like I said, I went to, I was, a, I was a Napster. I went to Naps, right. And, and, and I was a recruited athlete here and uh, I played football here for four years. I uh, was here at a time, uh, just like everybody else that, that there was some racial bias right now. 
Um, and so I had to work my way through that. And, and, and um, um, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, uh, which is in some, some instances uh, the home of, uh, you know, civil rights movement. Went to the same high school as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, so I'm well-versed in the civil rights movement. Um, grew up in an in, 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 in all-African-American part of town in Atlanta where there were doctors and lawyers and dentists and, and, and store owners and business owners. Uh, and so I come from a very you know, proud heritage of, of, of African-Americans that are uh, leaders in their community and, and, and those types of things. And so I brought, brought all that to the Naval Academy. And then, and then the Naval Academy uh, helped me to develop those leadership skills, how to work with everybody from, from, from every creating. Uh, uh, and just, and then I took that to the Marine Corps and the Marine Corps was like, uh, we don't care about any of that stuff. Just do your job. All right. And so uh, largely merit-based um, in, in the Marine Corps. And, and as long as I worked my butt off, now was there props and races? Oh, yeah, it probably was. I don't know. You know, I, I, but, but uh, largely I was very blessed to be a part of some awesome commands where I had awesome COs who just, if you did your job, they reward you for it. And, and that's all the Marine Corps really cared about. And so I brought all that back here. Uh, and so that, that, that having gone through it, when I'm talking to midshipmen, I don't care what, you know, who they are. Um, that is that, that time in the Marine Corps is respected. And so um, one, people can't pull the wool over my eyes. Right. In some cases, both on both sides. Right. And I know, no, I can call, I can call, I can call it on both sides um, and, 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 and hold, hold midshipmen accountable. <laughs> um, I, I too was, a, uh, I'm trying to tell myself here, but I, 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 I did some things here that probably, probably shouldn't have. And so I know all the hiding spots and I knew, you know, I knew uh, what, what we tried to get away with here when I was in mid. And so I could catch guys uh, and, and, and make sure they all got on the right track. So, my time in, as a mid here and my time as a Marine uh, offered me an awesome perspective about, you know, what you can accomplish in, in, in the face of racism, right? And, 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 and you know, limit the excuses that people make um, on both sides. Uh, and I can, um, you know, go forth without, uh, and I can always blame it on, hey, I, I, I'm a Marine, so I, uh, please forgive me. Uh, I maybe shouldn't have done that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, last question for me, RB. This is truly a unique time. Uh, the you know the 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 Freddie Gray scenario um, in Baltimore, the George Floyd um, tragedy, the you know just the the racial unrest. Uh, bring yourself, put yourself in a time machine. You're in high school or probably just about to graduate from high school when the Rodney King riots take place or when the Rodney King beating took place and then the subsequent riots, the O.J. Simpson verdict comes down uh, while you're a midshipman. You know, uh, compare and contrast the, the environments back from 95 to 98 when you were at the Naval Academy to just the past three or four years as you transitioned from being a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps to being a full-time assistant coach? What, what are the dynamics and has there been growth from 95 to 98 in the wake of certain racial uh, milestones? Milestones is a terrible word. In, in, in um, light of certain racial incidents to today in terms of racial incidents. Yeah, I, I think the, 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 
the, the Rodney King trial, the OJ Simpson case, the, the country still was largely split on issues, right? And, and, and you know, we were not in agreement. You know, black people too happy when OJ, you know, got acquitted, and, and white people too mad, you know, and there was something in the middle. You know, what I mean, it's just we're very split on things. Rodney King, the case, you know, we, we when it felt like, hey, um, you know, that it doesn't matter if it's caught on film, right? It, it doesn't matter if it's seen it, it, you still get away with it, right? And and so it's kind of like our first, for, for, for my generation, the first time we could see that on film and we could prove it and say it. And it's like, so you look, we were, you know, we were telling you guys we were getting, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's brutality out here. Uh, and so we could see it on film, we're like, yes, it's going to be our time. And I was finally going to get this thing conviction and, and then it comes back and like, no, okay. And so that's when it kind of um, some of the the uh, start to build and, and, and whatnot. And so um, uh, but from then to now, um, you know, I, I, I'm I guess I'm not naive that it, for us to get here. Right. It, this is probably arguably the third greatest time in the history of our country that that could be some racial progress beyond you know, you know, something that could be sustainable over time. Like, you know, so there's, you know, the emancipation was the largest, right? And then the civil rights movement in the 60s. And then now after George Floyd, um, and why why after George Floyd, I don't, I'm not sure why, uh, but certainly the, 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 the national and international support uh, is greater than we've, we've ever seen it in, in my generation, my lifetime. And arguably, uh, you know, it, it took us, two presidential assassinations to get here. Like it took people, and then, I don't know, 3,600 hangings. It, it took, you know, multiple assassinations of leaders for us to get to this point. And so, uh, and, and that has happened over the last 400 years. And so, um, and so now there's, there's a, such an energy behind it that yes, I think this is much different than, than, than the Rodney King deal because there's so much support uh, it is it is overwhelming uh, the number of the, the, the support, but there are also some some folks who are, have this you know, heels dug in the sand. But surely, that's, that's a, a great support that we can get some things done. And the young people that are involved are not like me. They they have seen they spent eight years of their young lives with an African American president. Right? They've seen that it's not a big deal for them. That was not a part of my thoughts as a as a young man growing up. Right. I never thought that would happen, um, but they're like, yeah, it just happens. It's just pretty easy, sir. I mean, eight years of my life has been spent with an African-American president and and, you know, so they've seen these things already. And so the, so for them, um, social media, they can organize, they can they can put themselves together fast. They can get going. They can take actual steps. Um, and so and there are not like us who, who were told or taught to put our hands on the steering wheel and don't speak back to cops, be respectful, don't say anything. But they push back um, and push back in, in, in great ways. And now it's caused uh, maybe some some violence and some things, but brought some stuff to light. But And I get on my young people all the time about having that phone stuck to their hand. But because they have, you know, we've, we've been able to see a lot of these things happen. Uh, and so it's different because the young people are different. And they, they they are different. Uh, I'm an old old man compared to these guys, and um, they only need some guidance from me. They don't really need me to lead them in any way. Well, I, I think that you're doing great things, and you know, just from this 
perspective, I, I think that it, it is a it is a wonderful effort, and and the Naval Academy and you should be applauded for doing it. You know, it it, it is one step forward. Hopefully, can continue to take multiple steps forward without steps back. Every time I see Blake Bortles get signed as a quarterback instead of Colin Kaepernick, it makes me shake my head. But then when you think about George Floyd and things like that, there are bigger issues uh, around which to organize than just Blake Bortles versus Colin Kaepernick. So RB, thank you for what you're doing. All right. Thank you, brother. Okay. And that does it for our conversation with RB Green. Really good perspective from RB there. Um, you know, the, the thing that hit me and, and I know that, uh, that we all kind of felt this way when we were talking off camera about it is RB always keeps it very real. And when he said, Hey, that these kids have, have not really had the background that I had or people of my age group have had in that they just enjoyed eight years with president Obama. Um, that's a data point that we don't necessarily think about, uh, you know, those of us who are in our 60s in, in Ward's case, which I couldn't resist the temptation to, to bring that up, or the rest of us in our 50s and 40s. Um, but despite that, you know, the, the challenges that exist racially at the Naval Academy and really everywhere in this country, but particularly on campuses, uh, that's where these movements are beginning and, and, really, and really getting legs and getting wings. Um, we need to consider these uh, these factors, as RB said. Um, but I, I personally have never really thought of it from the standpoint of a 18 to 22 year old right now, and I'm not sure if that's good or bad. But a great conversation with RB. We'll continue to check in with him um, over the season and throughout the AC year to see how some of these uh, racial equality programs are taking hold. We're going to go to break and we come back. uh, We will have our alumni segment. So stick with us here on Sing Second Sports. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available. All right, we are back on Sing Second Sports. Without any further ado, let's get to uh, some alumni interviews. Uh, we have two really good ones lined up today. First and foremost, we're going to talk to uh, Rear Admiral retired Jim McNeil. Uh, he was born in Hawaii and was raised in Southern California. He is the son of a 1962 Naval Academy grad, and he graduated from the Naval Academy in the great class of 1986, 96 minus 10. Yet, after six years on active duty in the Supply Corps, he transitioned to the reserve component and retired in 2017. Among his assignments were USS Constellation, uh, Assistant Suppo on USS Merrill, um, all good uh, SWOs, serve on uh, Spruance class destroyers, and his uh, shore assignments include being the supply officer for SEAL Team One. Uh, Most notably, uh, Admiral McNeil is the author of The Herndon Climb, A History of the United States Naval Academy's Greatest Tradition. Um, So without any further ado, Admiral, thank you very much for joining us, and how are you doing? Good morning. Really, really excited to be with you guys today. Awesome. So I'll kick it off. Um, it, tell us a little bit about your time um, at the Naval Academy from you know 82-ish to 86. Uh, what sports did you play and how did the physical mission really help you on your career to eventually being a flag officer in the U.S. Navy? Wow, great question. So uh, I also I started my career at NAPS. Uh, I was one of those... Uh, um, young midshipmen that need a little bit of extra academic time. And when we came down in October 
Uh, and really the first time I remember being at the Naval Academy, I'd gone as a kid with my parents. Uh, I saw how the situation was with uh, tables and rates and yelling and all that stuff. So I, I fashioned this uh, idea that I was going to be a uh, hammer thrower. So when I was up at NAPS, uh, that's what I worked on, thinking that I could get on some team tables when I got down there as a plebe. And that was uh, a misguided thought. Uh, you know, the athletes at the Naval Academy were recruited for their specific sport. So uh, after that, uh, didn't work out. Uh, I did my plebe year and uh, lived across the hall my youngster year, second semester of my youngster year, from three rugby players. And they spoke very highly of it. I didn't really know anything about it, had never played it, obviously. And so they convinced me to come out uh, second semester of my youngster year. And uh, so my rest of the time at the Naval Academy until I uh, got uh, hurt and couldn't really play my senior year, I, I played Na uh, Navy rugby. So we had a couple of ruggers on this podcast uh, a couple of months ago, Chris Hoffman and Chris Cleary, both accomplished uh, cyber warriors. What was the rug rugby program like back in, you were about 10 years before they were, they were 96ers, you're an 86er. What was the program like and do you participate in some of the rugby alumni stuff now? Yeah, it, it, was, it was very similar to how the sprint football team is set up right now. Our, our coach was uh, Marine Corps Major uh, uh, Bob Wolf, and we had some uh, other Marines on the yard that volunteered. Uh, it was a club sport, uh, certainly not at the level uh, that it is now. And it was, uh, it was truly a club sport. Uh, we played out on Hospital Point. Uh, we had no locker rooms. The, that little shed out there was where we, where we changed. And uh, we practiced hard during the week. And we had a lot of fun on the weekends uh, playing rugby. And then the after matches uh, were legendary as well. Uh, as far as now with the Rugby Alumni Association, yes, I'm a part of that. Uh, I was played in the, the first two games uh, where we played West Point, uh, the over 50 group, uh, were not the results we wanted. And we were really looking forward to this season. Uh, back in March before COVID hit, we were going to be the uh, opening match uh, before the NSTAR game. And uh, unfortunately, that got, that got canceled. But uh, Marty Migliori, who is uh, really the driver of that, Class 85, was actually one of the guys in that room that got me into rugby. So uh, it's, it's been great to, to get around the, the fellows and get out there and, and, and play. And, and I use the pl uh, term play very loosely. Uh, we go out there and run around and, uh, uh, you know, try to, try to do what, you know, the mind thinks one thing and the body is another at this, at age 56, for sure. So I'll just mention, I've read the book. Uh, it's fantastic. It's published by uh, USNI Press, which makes Jim and I stable mates. They published my debut 19 years ago. Um, and uh, it's, it's really a, a comprehensive look at where the monument came from, who's Herndon, and then some sort of highlights through the years. So um, we don't have that much time, Jim. Can you briefly... Uh, tell the listeners who Hernan was and what's significant about the Hernan Monument. Sure. And briefly, I, I, I don't know if I can do anything briefly, but I'll try. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, so Commander uh, Herndon uh, was a uh, uh, merchant captain. Uh, he was still in the Navy, but he was in charge of a merchant ship, uh, the SS Central America, that was transporting gold from the gold rush 
from the east coast of the United States up to uh, Philadelphia and New York to the, to the banks up there, along with a lot of passengers that had made their fortunes in California. And in 1857, they ran into a hurricane and the SS Central America sank. And what uh, was so remarkable about Captain Herndon is that he was able to keep his ship afloat uh, to get the hundred and so women and children off of the ship uh, before it sank. It still lost about 500 uh, souls, went down with it, including Captain Herndon, uh, who, uh, as the ship was getting ready to sink, put on his dress uniform, uh, his sword is, and, and everything, and uh, stood in the, in the pilot house at the, at the helm and, and, and literally went down with the ship. Uh, his brother-in-law was uh, Matthew Fontaine Morey, and uh, they were very, very close. And uh, Maury is the one that uh, came up with this idea f- to have a monument to uh, honor Captain Herndon. And so in 1860, it was, it was put into the Naval Academy and where it stands today. So the, the Herndon Monument has never been moved. Uh, it's in its original place uh, since it's been there uh, 160 years ago. And of course, Maury has uh, been in the news lately because he and Buchanan are the two Confederates for whom buildings on the yard are named to this day. Um, so that's sort of been under some scrutiny. Um, so let's talk about some of the highlights and lowlights of uh, the year since it was uh, an official ceremony, starting with the snake dance and then going through the longest one, the one that had no grease, and then what's happening these days, including the female integration piece. Yeah, so there, there is a, you know, I, I guess ours would be the definitive history, although it was, the, the records are rather spotty about how, the, how all this started. But the best as we can determine, the, uh, there was a, a, between the Herndon Monument and the chapel, there used to be a set of benches that were covered with or, or were surrounded by hedges. And this was known as Lover's Lane. And this was an area that was off limits to plebes. And so the upperclassmen at that point would take their drags, their dates there, and they would, they would you know, very prim and properly sit on the bench and, and uh, you know, probably steal a kiss here or there. And uh, when the firsties graduated, uh, and it used to be on the yard. They used to have the stadium on the yard. Uh, the plebes in the early 1900s started to run into Lover's Lane uh, and kind of celebrate the fact that they could be there. And then that celebration turned into kind of a snake dance. Uh, and then that turned into uh, taking pictures in front of the Herndon Monument. And then that uh, turned into uh, tr- climbing Herndon Monument, which is a lot easier, ungreased. Uh, and as best as we can determine this this type of behavior by the by the plebes uh, who are now youngsters uh, irritated some upper class to the point where they said, well, we're going to make it harder on them. So we're going to put grease on on the monument. So it slowly evolved from there. Uh, my dad's class is the first official timed event. Uh, so the climb in 1959 for the class of, of 62. The uh, uh, it, it has been uh, uh, ungreased a few times, but starting in 1971, it's it's been pretty much greased the whole time, except for uh, when Admiral Fowler, Jeff Fowler, was the superintendent. Uh, he did not want it greased due to safety concerns. So we talk about that in the book about about his thoughts. Uh, about that, and uh, when when he left, uh, and Admiral Miller came in, they they reinstated the the greasing of the monument. So that went back. Uh, we have a fun story about the class of '98. Uh, their climb was four hours, four hours and five minutes, and uh, the 
trials and tribulations and why it took them so long. Uh, that's a fun story. Uh, and we also have a story about uh, the women uh, at Herndon. And my wife is also a classmate, class of 86. And when I told her we were going to be working on this project, uh, she didn't share the enthusiasm because as she told me, you know, Herndon was just one, just another way that we got treated poorly. So whereas in my life, it's a, it's, it's a very fond memory and her, and her thought it is not. And so we cover in depth uh, the way that women were treated in the early 80s, uh, being uh, pulled down if they tried to get up, and just overall the, the really poor climate that the, the women endured uh, back in the early 80s. And really, they've really had no recompense for it. And, and when my wife read that chapter, when the book was published, it, it you know, brought a lot of emotions to the surface because really there's never been an apology. There's never been any sort of uh, reckoning for it. Uh, this stuff was happening. The administration, the leadership at the time did nothing to stop it. Uh, the good news is that uh, this is not happening anymore. I'm, I'm very engaged on the yard as, a, as an ethics instructor and as a sprint football coach. And uh, this the, it took kind of a generation, I think, for the women to be accepted. Uh, and they are now very well, very integrated. So, uh, but it is a part of the history of the monument that we thought was important to tell. I find it interesting that your book published in the year that they did not have a Herndon climb. Were yeah. you able to include that or was the book already submitted? But that's pretty significant. And was there any other time in history that, that there was no Herndon climb in a school year for whatever reason? No, good question. No, we, we, uh, we covered the, the 2019 climb in depth. Uh, and that was really kind of the last chapter that we wrote. Uh, the manuscript was submitted in the fall of 2019 before anyone even knew how to spell COVID. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the timing was unfortunate. Uh, there has never been a time since they started climbing it where they just didn't do a climb. So this is unprecedented. Now, I know that the uh, superintendent and the commandant, uh, and there's been nothing official, but they have uh, uh, said previously that they do want the class of 2023 to have their climb. So uh, what we're kind of hoping for book sales purposes is maybe a day-night doubleheader scenario where the class of 23 does theirs. Uh, you know, in the morning and 2024 does there in the afternoon, something like that. But we hope that both classes get to do it this year. Uh, and, and it is an important rite of passage. And I, I it would be sad if the class of 23 never got to do it. And, and that would be something they would they'd live with uh, for essentially the rest of their careers. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Unfortunately, many Naval Academy traditions did not happen in 2020, last spring semester. And the seniors who graduated will never get them back. Um, I would ask what prompted a book like this. Uh, not many people would look at a monument, which is not a living being, and think there's a book there. Um, you know, I, I'm, I always think people, and I've got to do interviews. And But there is a book there, obviously, and you did a great job. But what, what prompted this? Were you walking by the monument one time and thought, Man, somebody ought to write the story behind the monument. No, no, it's uh, it's it, it, it's got a sports twist. So, uh, I in 2015, uh, I got a call from my friend Scott Tomaszewski, and it, it was May of 2015. Him and I have been friends since seventh grade. He's a he's a writer. We were on the newspaper, high school newspaper together. We've been friends for you know 40 years, 40 plus years. And he called me and he said, hey, I was watching SportsCenter and I was watching the top 10 plays and they had this thing called the Herndon Climb. They covered it. Have you ever heard of that? And I said, well, yeah, I've heard of the Herndon Climb. In fact, it's the second best 
feeling I've had in my life. And he said, well, I think it would make a great book. And so uh, he proceeded to kind of talk about his vision of what the book would be. And I really was not all that interested in doing it because I thought there was several other books on, uh, on the Herndon climb. So we ended up, uh, you know, researching it and there wasn't another book. So we kind of dove into the project and the Naval Institute Press was uh, kind enough to, to, to publish it for us. And uh, the rest is history, as we say. Awesome. Well, sir, um, uh, for anyone, you know, and we have a very good following of uh, both alumni and Neapolitans and Annapolitans. Uh, if anyone wants to uh, get this book, how do how do they go about that? What's the best place to get it? Would you prefer online? Is it at you know Barnes and Noble? How can they get this? Yeah, it's uh, it's only been out since September first. So obviously, with COVID, we're, we're we're trying to get it out there. But the best way is to to buy it from the Naval Institute Press web, uh, website. That's number one, uh, and then uh, it's also available on Amazon as well. Admiral McNeil, uh, thank you very much for telling us a little bit about this book. Um, again, uh, it's called The Herndon Climb. You can get it through U.S. Naval Institute Press. And uh, Admiral, thanks again for, uh, for number one, uh, joining us today, but also coming back home and contributing as a professor and uh, with the sprint football team. We're looking forward to having you on in the future. Thanks so much, guys. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. That was Admiral James McNeil. Um, author of The Herndon Climb, former rugby player and current professor at the U.S. Naval Academy. We're going to switch gears here. Um, staying on the sports theme with alumni, we are uh, very, very happy to be joined by Vice Admiral John Christensen. Um, Admiral Christensen is the fourth of six sons of a Navy Sky Raider pilot, pilot and a Navy nurse. He graduated from the Academy in 1981, a pretty good class. Um, at the Naval Academy, he played varsity soccer for uh, really a brand new head coach and eventual uh, Navy so soccer coaching legend, Dr. Greg Meyer. Admiral Christensen has had command at various levels. He's commanded McCluskey, Desron 21, Mine and Anti-Submarine Warfare Command, Carrier Strike Group 12, President of InServe. He also commanded SWAS, uh, Yacht, as a SWO myself. I think that's awesome. And he was the president of the Naval War College. He also served back at his alma mater as a company officer, celestial navigation instructor, only the best officers are celestial navigation instructors, and he was an assistant varsity soccer coach as he came home. On November 30th, 2018, Admiral Christensen retired after 41 years of service, and his son Matthew just graduated last year and is currently in San Diego awaiting to check aboard USS John Finn. Admiral Christensen, thanks so much for joining Sing Second Sports. How are you? Great. Thank you, John. It's an honor to be here. Awesome. So, sir, I, I talked about playing for Dr. Myers, um, and I'm sure anyone who was at the Academy from 76 until the early 2000s you know, knew of Dr. Myers' presence. You, know, you could often, particularly when uh, I was teaching in Loose Hall and the Glen Warner soccer facility was brand new, I, I swore I could hear him yelling from my office um, but what was it like uh, being a varsity soccer player back then? And what was it like being a player for a brand new legendary head coach? Uh, it was a dream come true. I mean, Greg Myers, just at my retirement ceremony, he was there with a bunch of old teammates. And uh, he's just a, he's a man that pushed me further, as I said, further than I ever thought I could go. Uh, as you may know, he was a former enlisted Marine 
He came to Navy from the North American Soccer League, so he knew a lot of the that you know the North American Soccer League was trying to establish itself. So they were hiring uh, you know Beckenbauer and uh, Pele and uh, Georgie Canaglia and Garrett Mueller. They were all coming, and so Myers, you know, and Greg uh, Glenn Warner, who had won the national championship. Uh, I was class eighty one. Our class was Myers's first recruiting class. So his first year at Navy. Uh, you know, he, he got all Glenn Warner's players and he tied Army. And then our first two years, we lost to Army. And then uh, our last two years, we crushed Army. As is often the case in football, when we lose, it's razor close. But when we win, we really crush them. And I had the distinction of breaking the Army goalie's leg on Dewey Field uh, right from Meyer's first big win. They had to drive the ambulance on the field. So that was a bad. But Myers was just a classic... Uh, Hard, good guy who hugely impactful, and all the uh, men he coached those twenty nine years. Sir, did you at least see a yellow card for that, or I mean, did you get a straight no. red? Did they run you for that? No, no Myers was a genius. Uh, I was a, a defender, and uh, he uh, would often move me to the front at the end of the game. He say, "You know, shake things up, John." And, uh, you know, we had a tendency, we took a one goal lead and Myers used to call us a bunch of middle-class suburbanites and we'd circle the wagons and get defensive. And he would put me at Ford and just say, hey, run down every loose ball. My nickname was Psycho. So uh, there was, you know, Army was just pounding us uh, as the game wore on and we were trying to desperately hang on to a one nothing lead. So about 20 minutes left, Myers you know, sent in a reserve mid uh, center back, moved me to forward. Within five minutes, I went up for a head ball, clean as could be. The goalie came out. Of course, he could use his hands. He jumped, punched. We collided. He cartwheeled, hit the ground, compound fracture, ambulance on the field. And we scored a couple minutes after that to win 2 0. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, hey, before I hand it over to Ward, um, yeah, you know, since we just talked to Admiral McNeil, what I wanted to ask him about the book and forgot to was, you know, whether varsity athletes back in the day, and I'm not trying to date you guys, but whether varsity athletes back in the day did the Herndon climb. Did, did you do the Herndon climb as a varsity athlete back in the day? And if so, um, I'm sure you know what, what time the great class of 81 had. Of course, 81 minutes. And uh, we did it. In fact, probably the most uh, memorable picture in our lucky bag, our yearbook, is of Kevin Tolbert, who was the uh, unbelievable, powerful fullback. There's a picture of him in the bottom row, and it's, I mean, it looks like uh, Michelangelo, and he's got about half his classmates on his shoulders. So, yeah, we participated, all of us. <laughs> well, as I hand it off to Ward, I'll let Ward start off by saying what the great class of 82 did in climbing the monument. I've said to Jim, I think it was two hours and something. It, it wasn't uh, as tidy as 81 minutes. Um, Admiral, everything I know about Navy soccer was taught to me by Danny Humphreys, uh, who, who was killed in a C-12 crash in South America. Um, Danny was my roommate at prep school down in Texas at Marine Military Academy. Um, so I when I think of Navy soccer, I, I think fondly of, of him, great guy, South Jersey boy, as were most of the guys I went with uh, to prep school with down there. Um, and then I got to know Coach Myers when I was on the faculty at the end of my career um, and primarily over at the golf course. And, and so uh, that was kind of a gift to get to know him better as a, as a man. Um, so we generally ask alums, what 
role did what you learned as a soccer player play in your Navy career? Uh, can you uh, talk to us a little bit about those elements? Yeah, I mean, one word is perseverance. Uh, I was not a great player. Uh, it was long enough ago where Navy still, I mean, I was recruited, but, uh, you know, I wasn't a parade All-American. We had a classmate, Walt Silvera, uh, who was a parade All-American. I was not Walt Silvera. It was four years of every day struggling for every minute. And I think uh, if you uh, heard the Commandant Captain Buchanan talk, it's a very similar experience for him. Um, I really only got on the field with significant time. I played a lot as a plebe, and then Myers moved me to – I played JV as a sophomore, which was hugely humiliating um, for me. But he said, I want you to learn how to score because I want to be able to use you up front. And when I – you know, I'm a huge Navy football fan, honored to be on the screen with Bill Wagner. Um, when I look at guys like Will Worth, you know, and in the current – stories of the, the players who only get to contribute their last year. I think those are the officers that go on and, and take away that perseverance that, hey, hey, some people are born able to do it all well. Most of us aren't. And we really have to pick and choose where we give it all we got. So, uh, yeah, God bless Danny Humphreys. Very good friends. He was going to come to my wedding, said there's a big party in Brazil, John. I might not make it. If I don't get a hop, I won't make it. So, yeah, uh, Danny and I, uh, you know, we were both lieutenants here. He was running the exchange in the commissary, and I was assistant coach. So we went to Bobby Bianchi's funeral together. I remember picking him up at the commissary and driving up to North Jersey for uh, uh, Bobby Bianchi's funeral. Admiral, so good to see you, and it's in my honor to be on the screen with you. Um, one of my early introductions into covering Navy athletics, uh, when I first started at the Capitol, Joe Gross, you may remember the – Late great Joe Gross, he was the Navy. Yep, he was the Navy beat writer. But Joe liked to focus on the big sports, football, basketball, and so uh, opportunities were there for youngsters like me to go cover the Olympic sports, as we call them. And one of the first chances I got was Navy men's soccer and Greg Myers, and he was so ever patient with a young cub reporter who was still learning about soccer and. Uh, I grew to have such great respect for him over the years, did features and would have to interview Greg to, you know, write these features. But, um, you know, obviously the Glenn Warner soccer facility is rightfully named for the great coach and who led Navy to a national championship with the famous Jimmy Lewis scoring the game winning goal. But I do believe Greg Myers deserves to be honored and recognized at that facility. Those of you who played for, Dr. Myers, are, are, is there plans afoot? You know, I've been in the facility and there's all sorts of archival material, but is there anything to, afoot to maybe permanently recognize Greg Myers, maybe a plaque or a bust or something of that nature? Fabulous idea, Bill. Uh, having a party for a couple of teammates tomorrow night here, uh, we'll have to talk about. I don't know of any. I mean, he's still very much alive. You'll see him in the end zone of every home game, hopefully. Uh, we'll get some of those this year. Um, I don't know of anything. Uh, certainly his 29 years, and uh, we won some amazing games. We were in and out of the top 20 when I was playing, and uh, he certainly deserves it. For you, Bill, I want to make sure you know that one of the very first broadcasts ESPN ever did was the Army-Navy soccer game in 1979. I've always tried to find it unsuccessful. 
Well, we'll work to see if we can locate that. I've got some connection with ESPN. It's got to be around somewhere. It may not be a very high-quality broadcast, but we'll try to find it. Let me wrap by asking you your thoughts on the current men's soccer program. Uh, obviously, uh, I think Coach Tim O'Donoghue is doing a fine job. He's, he's brought in some fine recruits. Um, I think the future is bright. Last year, they had that amazing winning streak. It was disappointing that they went down in the Patriot League tournament, but I do believe the picture is bright under Coach O'Donoghue. Your thoughts? Absolutely. He's a, he's a great man. He's the right guy for the program. He's got a great staff. They're doing a great reach, reach out to alumni players. They have a fabulous newsletter. Uh, I've, I run into him. I help him recruit kind of informally at Starbucks. He brings in these big guns who, you know, we kind of think have no chance of coming to Navy. And sure enough, the, the kids that played in Canada is here as a plea. So he, he's, he's a great guy. I mean, obviously the success he had last year uh, undefeated back in the top 20 where they belong. Uh, and he loves the academy. And again, you know, the culture there is so important to everything we do. And uh, I think he is building a team and recruiting families and recruiting players that are they're going to really contribute not only on the soccer field, but in careers, however long they last. Awesome. Well, Admiral, uh, we, we talk about this as Bill has just filed a story here in the last day or two about the Navy men's soccer game against Syracuse uh, getting canceled because of the positive COVID test at Syracuse. So hopefully we see uh, Coach O'Dee's guys out there on the pitch here soon. Um, thank you very, very much for joining us. Uh, I know that you're back home here. I see you riding around and on your bike in West Annapolis sometimes. Uh, so it's good to have you home and hopefully we can see you out there for a proper maybe football tailgate or maybe a maybe soccer tailgate here in the future. And thanks. I know all three of you, uh, your bios really well. I really admire you. You didn't ask me about being David Robinson's company officer. I got some good stories there for next time. We are ready. As we get into the basketball season, uh, I, I think that'll be some useful intel. So, Admiral, thanks again for what you do, and thanks for uh, giving us some of your perspective. Uh, we are going to go to break, and when we come back, uh, Ward, Wags, and I will take this out. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. Okay, we're back. Uh, awesome conversation there. Um, you know, I, I honestly did not know that about your... Um, was that your flight school roommate ward uh, expound a little because I know that you've you've posted some stuff on social media before uh, he played soccer and was killed in a in a plane crash what uh, yeah, what's the da other Danny there? Danny Humphreys uh, was my prep school roommate down in Texas at, at Harlingen Texas in the Valley Marine Military Academy um, and he was there was a whole group of South Jersey boys down there. Uh, there was a, a Navy blue and gold officer named Garwood Bacon, who was, who was legendary in the South Jersey area. And so 95% That of can't the, be a real name. Garland Bacon? Garwood Bacon. Yeah. yeah. He's, <laughs> That's an he's awesome a legend. name. You talk to anybody, um, you know, circa, I would say 
probably uh, graduating classes 75 to 90 uh, from South Jersey. Um, and I can rattle off all the townships and the, you know, uh, uh, you know, basically South Jersey, you know, Morristown, Haddonfield, um, Tom's river. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mount Holly, you know, all, all, and Cherry Hill, all, all of these places, um, that these guys were from and they'd all played football against each other in high school. Um, and here I am this Marine kid, um, who went to high school, uh, in, in, outside of cherry point um and lived on base at cherry point i was a tennis player right and i and so i'm mashed into this world with these guys and they're all streetwise and you know tough south jersey boys and and uh, it was amazing it was an amazing year um and it, it made plebeer arguably for me uh much easier as prep school generally does but but even in in a sort of subjective way attitudinally these guys uh, we're like big brothers, although we were all the same age. And so Danny was my roommate. Uh, we were in Alpha Company down there, and, and uh, the Marine Military Academy is a former Air Force barracks complex from World War II, um, right next to the airport in Hanoi. And so Danny was such a sweet guy, and uh, he was a blue chip soccer player. So uh, he was already in comms with them, and he he knew things about uh, going to school there that that he shared with me that made was good intel as we were taking the SAT every weekend and, and trying to get ready to figure out if we were actually going to get admitted to the Academy. Um, so we were not at the same, in the same company at the, at the Naval Academy, but we stayed in touch and, and that cohort of, of Marine military Academy guys was very close. And so um, he went to be a supply corps officer and then he was the Naval attache in Brazil. Um, and he was killed in a C-12 mishap down there. Um, and so it was a great loss for my, my gra- the guys I graduated with from prep school and a great loss for my academy class of 82. Um, so when I think of Navy soccer, everything I know about Navy soccer, I mean, he'd sit there in our room and just practice. He'd have me throw him the ball so he could trap it. It was all about trapping. That's what, what Myers told him, get good at trapping. And so he'd just have me, you know, throw him the ball and, and he'd, he'd sort of trap it, right? And, and so that concept I, I didn't know about until Danny. And so it was a great loss to me uh, personally. And, and uh, you know, I, I, as I mentioned in the interview, I got to know Coach Myers when I was on the faculty, when you and I were on the faculty here, uh, and we'd play golf with him over at the course. And, uh, you know, yeah. a, a, real, a real good guy and fun to play with and, uh, uh, you know, an iconic Navy coach. Let's segue to Jim McNeil. Um, the, the book, I seriously, as I said at the end of the, the interview there, this is a must read for all grads, for current mids, for parents. It really does contextualize that iconic ceremony. Um, and, and the subtitle is the, the Naval Academy's greatest tradition. I think arguably that is true as you think about things that make you ready to be a naval officer, challenges you face. And, and you know, it's getting punched in the face during plea boxing. It's the tower jump. Um, it is uh, the, the, you know, the, the one-mile swim. It, it, and it's also the Herndon climb. And, you know, anyone who's done it has faced that, oh, my God, I don't think we're going to be able to do it moment. And you dig deep and the class gets it done. And, you know, it, it, that really has served me in life, but most specifically when I, as, during my time as a naval officer, when things got 
got tough. So this story is, is and he tells it and his co-author uh, tell it very well. And so I, I really do recommend that book. It, it, it gets the lauded five-star sing second recommendation, which we don't give very often. No, that we reserve that for only the best uh, in the literature field. We didn't even give Punk's War uh, the five star. We didn't uh, treatment. Well, that's no, we need I, to remedy that. So I'll I'll ask our intrepid producer. Um, I, I I know that you are the what do they call the guy who gets the do they call him the capper? Um, the the one who yeah, gets. I the was ex- not. Yeah, I was <laughs> oh, not the capper. You know, kid. actually. Yeah, Navy basketball player Josh Williams was uh, the guy that got the. Uh, uh, no way the, the blue rim yeah and put the the cap back on i mean he was uh seven foot tall and uh <laughs> you know we we were like like ward i don't remember what the time was i know that we were not as bad as the class of 98 who took forever um and so just as long as we beat them uh we were we were pretty jazzed but uh yeah josh got up there he put it on and i was really happy when it was over i, I have to be honest uh I was as a as a thick mid. I, I was on the base. Uh, I was I was not up towards the top. Uh, so uh, uh, very happy when people you know got off my head and shoulders, and we were able to uh, to go on liberty. And we had a mud moat at the bottom of ours, right? And and that would it would dry up oh. on your feet, and, and it was like sandpaper on your shoulders. Um, and it was also kind of dangerous. Uh, I, I actually that crowd thing. I got toppled over and I was face down in the mud at one point, banging on the calves of the guy next to me to pull me up. Um, and so I'm, I'm not upset that they uh, removed the mud moat as, as the years went on. I think Admiral Fowler, as Jim mentioned, his decision to remove the uh, slicking elements altogether was a bit of an overreach in terms of safety. And the results were, I think they did it in two minutes and 50 seconds or something, something ridiculous. Yeah, it was quick. Um, yeah, it was, so, it was under you know, five it, minutes. It ebbs and flows. Um, and, uh, you know, it really is a source of pride that, uh, you know, it was part of it and, and we did it. Uh, I think another thing that we want to talk about is this new term that's emerging as schools are dealing with the COVID outbreaks. And it's a word of pause. So we saw this with USF has paused their football program. They haven't canceled the season, but you're seeing, I think what we're seeing relative to the conversations we had in the early episodes uh, before the football season started, where we talk about canceling the season, is there's more agility being baked into it where they're just pausing the season and they'll pause practice and they'll say a cessation of football operations for the time being. So I entreat the audience and certainly will be covering this, but that's kind of what's happening as, as we evolve here against the COVID environment. And this is what the experts said were, was going to happen at academic institutions nationwide. You're going to have to have agility where you just, you don't cancel like classes, you just bounce between in-person and virtual and keep going, you know? And, and so I think that's the new normal. Um, so we haven't had to do that yet. Um, you know, we, we always sort of play a game like BYU and we're like, uh, is there anything, any, anybody hearing about a COVID spike, you know? Um, and the answer is no. It's like, okay, so here we go. We'll play Tulane. And then you plug your ears and you're like, close your eyes. You're like, any COVID spikes in the wake of that? No? Okay. Now we're going to play Air Force and then we'll play, you know, uh, uh, Temple at home. And, and so it's, you know, it's really, you got to be max agile. And uh, that's the new normal. 
we're still going to see games possibly canceled into November and into, into December. You know, it, it, we can't even possibly guess what's going to happen. And so, you know, with that in mind, as we go out, I'll, I'll put in, you know, a, I'll forward an idea that I've heard uh, several times now, um, coined by one Steve O'Hare, a former Fordham University quarterback, but, you know, we can just be like Army and play our games instead of Navy Marine Corps Stadium. Play them right there on Rip Miller next to uh, next to the Chesapeake Bay, and just let the mids line the sidelines. Uh, and uh, you know, there you've got a bubble, sort of like you know that allowed Army to play at Mikey Stadium. So we'll let that marinate as we go out. Um, really great episode. Thank you to RB Green for all of his comments uh, on their efforts on campus. Thank you to Admirals McNeil and Christensen for joining us. Thanks to Wags for making time in a very busy schedule as he is filing stories left and right. For Ward Carroll, um, I am John Schofield, and thank you to Chris Cervello. This is Sing Second Sports. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.